got the road, darling. Sit down on the Southern Rock Podcast, a southern storm of bold, liberating rock, shot through with blues, soul, and gospel. And now, your hosts for the show, Brian Jones and Jason Johannes. Welcome to another episode of the All Things Blues and Southern Rock Podcast. Uh, Jason's here. What's going on, man? Uh, happy New Year again. Just happy to get the uh, the year started off here with uh, some good guests, Brian. We've got a lot of a lot of cool stuff happening here these next couple of weeks. We do indeed. Well, the I think uh, two biggest news of the week is uh, Steve Gorman's uh, going to be joining the KQ Morning Show in Minneapolis, and he's out your way now. A little yeah, a little yeah. colder than Nashville. Apparently relocating there. So congratulations to him. And I'm now I'm going to have to listen to that morning show. You're going to have, if you, I mean, hopefully you guys get in Fargo and I was a little curious of what was going to go on with trigger hippies. So I yeah, commented to him yeah. on Twitter, he responded and just said, they're still doing gigs and whatnot. So, I mean, they weren't super active to begin with. So I can right. imagine he probably goes back to Nashville. They can practice, play a couple shows and, and go. Or maybe a show in the twin cities, which I would. Uh, uh, that would be awesome sure. because they are great live. And also speaking of shows in my area, Whiskey Myers is going to be playing in Grand Forks, North Dakota, about 80 miles north here, which really surprises the hell out of me. Uh, north? Again, 80 miles north? Yeah. It's like Canada at that point, isn't it? Almost. <laughs> yeah. And then they're playing in Duluth, Minnesota before then in Billings. And they're playing arenas. And I, I posted, I was trying to find Crazy. out. They must really track high, like on country radio or CMT, or you know, I think there's like an outlaw country station on Sirius XM. But you know, when you're playing yeah. arenas, you're you know, especially these days without well, I was gonna say without the radio support, but they must get you know, because it's really, I mean, like, like pop country is really big up here, right? Right. And, you know, so usually country artists like draw really big, even if they're not huge or whatever, but uh, you're definitely, I think you know, with, I look at Whiskey Myers the same way as Kentucky Headhunters, where they're maybe branded country, but it's like they're rock bands. Rock, yeah. I think so. that's fair. I mean, they're, they're very rocky, but they've got a little more country to them, I think, than Blackberry Smoke, if, if I'm yeah. comparing the two. Yeah. They were really good live when I saw them when I w went and hung out with Tyler from Goodbye June when yeah. they were opening. Yeah. Good live show. Yeah. So speaking of uh, musicians that you can't really put into one specific category, we got a return guest that we are yeah, you know, happy about. One of our favorite, favorite dudes that we've ever had on, like just J.D. Simo, right? Just great storyteller. He has his hands, like you said, in a lot of different things, whether it's movies, producing other people's records, playing his own stuff, playing with other people you guys will hear like he has a super busy 23 already on his slate i had i had forgotten that he worked on the elvis movie i don't know why how i forgot that but 
it had been like a year and a half or so since maybe we'd spoken to him. But yeah, like when I watched it a couple months ago or whenever it was on HBO, I watched the credits and saw him on there. And, you know, I was listening to the music throughout the show. It's a good, good movie. You know, I think he did good work on it, sounds like. Yeah, I have yet to watch it, but I'm going to do that real soon. It is depressing. Like you'll hear us talk about it on yeah. the podcast. I don't want to yeah. get too much, but it's a really well done movie. It's a good movie, but it's not, you know, it's not a feel good story by any means. All right, here we go with uh, our guest, J.D. Simo. here at the guest segment of the podcast jason's going to introduce our guest to you guys the listeners and i'm always excited to introduce the guests and i'm really really excited to have this gentleman back on because the first time we had him on it was one of the craziest best conversations i think brian you and i can agree that we I had agree. <laughs> uh he's got a new album coming out well you guys know who it is we talked about it in the intro but he's got a new album coming out this friday we're having on to talk about it and, and catch up with all things J.D. Simo, how you doing, man? I'm great. Thanks for having me, guys. Where Appreciate the at? kindness. Where, where are you at, J.D.? I'm at home, uh, which is rare these days. Where, where are you? <laughs> in Nashville, Tennessee. Nashville. Okay, Nashville, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Of I'm actually in the... Uh, we uh, were renovating. Um, we actually have moved... Me and my family have moved next door because we also ho- own the home next door to us and so um because we're renovating the living space upstairs i'm actually down in uh the the studio portion of the of the house the whole bottom floor is uh is the uh, has slowly over the last decade turned into the studio and the room that i'm in here is right now is sort of become like the green room as it were there's coffee machine and fridge and all that kind of stuff you know nice. so mm-hmm. you need. so two home how many homes do you own <laughs> three actually right. um we uh we own uh th- this this home which is our primary residence and then um uh, which has the studio in it and then we have uh we actually own the houses on either side and actually my mother-in-law uh lives uh uh in the other in the other house and which is wonderful because um we had uh concocted a plan to somehow get that house right and then we got pregnant right with our daughter right after that and it was like getting my mother-in-law to move in over there has been incredible through my child it wasn't great (laughs) yeah and just the the sort of you know home like our little uh our little uh, compound as it were, you know, it's just really beautiful uh, having everybody so close and um, it's been, it's been incredible and we didn't plan it that way. It just happened, which was fantastic. So if you want to start a cult, you're well on the way of having all these multiple residencies and you can just put like a big <laughs> gate around it or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's the plan. Yeah. My, 
I think my wife is like eyeing the other neighbors. It's like, geez, really? Okay. <laughs> Time to sell not, more guitars. Not only are you an excellent musician, but you are also like a uh, real estate magnet. <laughs> I don't know about that. My wife is the my wife is the smart one, you know. And in in, in yeah. all in all three cases, you know, I'm a guitar player, so I don't think that way. And uh, and she was like, well, we I really think this would be a smart thing to do. And it's like, well, yeah, but that's oh my god, honey. And um, but luckily, every time we've been able to figure it out, um, you know. And that's uh, why it's good if you're a musician, have a stash of stuff. Because, you know, when you need to, when you need to get, when you need to hit the stash, it can come in handy. It's like funding some additional projects. Indeed. indeed. <laughs> I just did that. I got rid of a bunch of gear. I had some excess stuff and I got rid of it. I bought a couple of guitars and sold some extra stuff off and it became like almost addictive where I'm like, I'm not I, like, it's fun to sell the stuff. I'm not using it. It's cool to have the cash come in. I gave my, my wife, you know, cash for, Hey, go buy Christmas gifts. Cool. i'm not a collector uh, i'm not a i'm i'm i don't have that mentality i actually um enjoy not having a lot of options uh personally yeah. so so uh but some people are not that way you know i have a lot of friends that are not that way and it kind of stresses them out if they don't have options and stuff so but i um uh, yeah i don't really uh unless it's something that i would be you know foolish to part with um which occasionally there are things that are just foolish you know it's uh, best ought hang on to them i don't really hang on to stuff i don't use and i yeah. really only have a handful of things that i really use daily you know i'm pretty good about that yeah and for me i mean i'm not a professional guitar player by any means but i've been getting better gear so selling old stuff or you know you upgrade do whatever and it helps fund against that so that's kind of what's been fun for me and to your point is like you kind of thin the herd where you have just the key stuff that you use whether i'm practicing at home or playing with my band and it's, it's it's really nice yeah absolutely absolutely but it's whatever your personal preference is that's true yeah. like you know if you want to accumulate a bunch of shit because you like it, it's fun like who's to, who's to argue that i think yeah, i know absolutely rich robinson won't say like he doesn't collect guitars he buys them because they sound good <laughs> <laughs> but i'm sure he's got much more than everybody else put together he has a well like he he you know you see the crows play and brian and i have seen him a million times jd i don't know if you've seen him or any of the options but like every song he has a new guitar that comes out like they play 20 songs he's got 20 different guitars that come out with them yeah he's one of those guys yeah um <laughs> Well, no, I mean, because, you know, there's guys that are like that, you know, it's, it's some people play one all night, some people yeah. switch a couple of times, and then there's guys like that, that it's every song. But everything's know. in a different tuning with a different capo position, too, you know, so I, I also get it, it's like, you know what I mean, like, that. I, I find. Sure, sure, yeah, I mean, whatever floats your boat, I, I don't think there's a right or a wrong way, um, but I, um, uh, I, one thing I don't really understand, I mean, I do understand, but I don't, is uh, people who have, uh, you know, tons of the same thing. Um, to me, uh, if you have a really good, whatever it is, if you have a really good Stratocaster, or you have a really good 
um, uh, Les Paul or something like that. Um, you know, my mindset is if you want, if you truly want options and stuff, like have a bunch of different things, you know, right. like have a it bunch of different. really good, yeah. have a bunch of really good versions of different things. You know, the thing that is, uh, uh, doesn't necessarily make tons of sense to me is, you know, people who can go out on tour and they have, you know, 20 of the same thing, you know, I mean, obviously they're all going to vary to a certain extent, but, you know, from my standpoint, it's like, well, you know, usually like when you, if you line up a bunch of the same thing, essentially, there's usually going to be one that stands out from the rest, you know? And it's like, well, just play that one. then, (laughs) Right. Yeah. That kind of man. You know. Have that be your number one, have your backup in case something happens, or if you need to have a something with a humbucker, something with single coil, whatever you need to sure. have the different sounds and you go with it. The six I have, I've got like this Les Paul Jr. P90s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Strat, Telly, 335. And I got I've got a Les Paul and a, a like a little single pickup Kramer just for the shit and giggles of the, you know, and you gotta play some hair metal, you know. Absolutely. What else do you need? What else do you need? Nothing. Wireless unit, maybe. No. Wireless. <laughs> well, I love talking guitars, and maybe we'll get more to that later. But we have you on here for a timely reason, because this is, you know, this episode's coming out. It's it's timing itself with something that you've got going on, which is a a new record. So you want to tell us a little bit about the record? Uh, sure. It's um, yeah, it comes out uh, uh, January thirteenth, and. Uh, it's Friday the a, 13th. Uh, indeed. Um, Friday the 13th. We, uh, so uh, last summer, we were, um, this past year and continuing on to this year, I've been involved in a lot more projects than in previous years, uh, both playing live and different, uh, touring with different people as well as my own stuff and and also a lot of studio stuff it's it's that's kind of overtaken my life so uh we toured like in little chunks and and um so we finished uh the spring trio tour and um there were a bunch of songs that we've been playing in the live show that i really enjoyed excuse me and um they uh uh, and so we had like a a six week break where where I was going to be mostly off doing other things with other people, and uh, I just asked uh, the the fellas um, uh, Adam Abershoff and Todd Bolden who had been who who had been on that last tour um, if they'd potentially come over for a day or two and maybe cut some of that stuff, and um, and they said sure and and. Um, I uh, initially I, I knew that there was a bunch of touring that was going to happen in the in the fall and into the winter, um, and um, I was thinking, well, you know, it might be nice to do like a limited release, uh, like maybe just a vinyl only release of some of these songs, maybe a maybe an EP or something like that. I didn't really think much uh, beyond that, and. Um, so the guys came over and we just leisurely, you know, played some of this stuff over a couple of days. And 
and um and I shared it with uh, with my team of people that I work with from the record label and management and stuff. And I kind of, I didn't really think much of it. I just said, you know, I, I think these turned out good and I, th- I think I might do something with it uh, kind of low key. And, and uh, everyone's consensus was, no, you, you know, this should be your next record. And, um, and I said, well, I said, that's interesting. I said, okay. I, I mean, I certainly, was down for it but that wasn't the initial uh thought and um so we just proceeded with that and mixed it and and um you know it's a very easy uh project uh just because there there wasn't a lot of uh there wasn't a lot of thought that went into it other than you know let's just get some of these songs and and uh the production is as simple as it gets you know we just played live here in the other in the live room and and um uh didn't do any overdubs or anything and it's 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 as a result it's a it's more so than my last few records it's uh much more of a you know people have described it to me not myself necessarily but like as more of a jazz um approach to to making records and I, i i i get that i think that that's apropos because it's several of the tunes are 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 rather lengthy and you know one of the tunes is a coltrane tune um Hmm. and um it's uh you know there's a lot of room there's more room mics and stuff like that than than there normally would be and um and it's it's really nice the focus is on the playing you know it's not a um there's vocals on the record and stuff like that and and some relatively normal song structure and stuff but it's it's definitely a a a playing record um uh and so uh in a lot of ways i think that's uh, from what i've gathered from people uh who've reviewed it and stuff like that i think that's kind of what people have maybe wanted from me for a while (laughs) so so anyway it was just really easy you know really easy so what's the Coltrane. name of the record? The name of the album is uh, "Songs from the House of Greece," which is uh, what we uh, what we call um, the studio here, and um, and yeah, just very again, very easy. <laughs> you know, just it made sense, and we went in, and uh, my good friend Jeremy Fetzer, who's a fantastic, um, he's sort of the uh, Oh God, I can't remember the gentleman's name now, but he, he, every great album cover of Nashville from the last decade, whether it's Chris Stapleton or Jason Isbell or Margot Price, or, you know, like he's, he's the guy and uh, he's a very good friend. And so I sent it to him. He's like, Oh man, he's like, this is like a, he's like parts of it remind me of like an old blue nut record. He's like, let's do, He's like, can we do like a layout like that? And I said, sure. You know, so we, he did a really beautiful job on the layout where it's very blue nut esque of the sixties, you know? So Coltrane, how do you replicate, I guess, Coltrane doing what you're doing? Are you kind of playing some of the <laughs> horn parts with guitar? I guess what's your approach and what two parts, what Coltrane song and kind of what's your approach to covering that as a guitar player? Uh, well, we did, we did Afro blue, which is, um, uh, a standard, uh, yeah, the, yeah. The, 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 the version that I 
am most familiar with is from Live at Birdland. And um, yeah, I'm essentially the guitar takes the place of, of, of the saxophone. Um, and, um, I, you know, I think had I uh, known that we were making an album, uh, I might not have uh, done that. Um, but we were just having fun and we'd played yeah. it we'd played it live and stuff like that. And it was, you know, uh, kind of once people had heard it, I was kind of, uh, uh, you know, past the point of, uh, of, of pulling it off as it were. Um, but it's a, it's a good, it's, it's, it's a good performance. I have no, uh, uh, I have no qualms about it. It, it, it's, uh, I'm, I'm very pleased with it. It's very of the moment and it's, um, it sounds very natural to me. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's it's daunting, you know. I think that as I move forward, um, uh, you know, because just in my own time, I spend a lot of time. Uh, at least this past year, the last six months, at least anyway, um, you know, spending more, much more time shedding that element of of my of of my taste, um, much more so than I ever have, as far as learning standards and um going off into that it's it's very appealing it's very fresh for me and i'm at an age and a maturity level where i'm i'm i'm, I'm enjoying um uh, tackling it you know bit to bit um and it's something that you know i can obviously do the the rest of my life you know because it's a it, there's there's just so much to 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 learn in any type of music, but especially in the, in the jazz form, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's heavy. <laughs> hey, so what's the touring plans for this? Uh, well, I'm going out uh, next month um, to do a really long, like a month's worth of dates um, with, uh, with my friend Tab Benoit. Um, nice. We're doing, yeah and then we're doing but we're doing that actually as a duo for the first time myself and adam abershoff um we've long for for a few years now at least since uh lockdown um we, we've done a lot of duo shows um not lengthy tours but um isolated shows we've done a lot of them and they're really 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 fun um they're 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 very different obviously from even just doing it as a trio and so um so that's up first is the duo tour with tab and then um and then there's uh they haven't been announced yet but there's there's um strings of dates uh trio shows in april and may where uh we're going to be going out with um another band from here in Nashville, the Cordovas, which, uh, which I'm a big fan of. And um, so we're doing a string of dates with them. And then in June, there's a project that I'm involved in that I'm going to be in New York city for the majority of the month. And then I'm, we're going to play the Iridium um, for the first time, which I'm really honored um, to get to do um, as a guitarist to play Les Paul's old, home club and then obviously you know the jazz history of the iridium um but we're going to do that and then and then return to peach fest 
um, okay. at the end of June. And, um, and then I just finished um, uh, two, two relatively long tours with my friend Patrick Sweeney, which um, is going to make up uh, a good portion of the rest of the summer into the fall, um, hitting uh, places that we didn't do in this pat in on these past two tours and uh, and that was a that's a really fun package because um with pat um it's it's me and the trio but then we do a set and then we back patrick up as well so there's two sets of music with an intermission um and it's it's really fun for me to get to not only do what i want to do but then also you know, play Pat's music and, and, um, and, and support him. So, so yeah, so that's, that's at least up into the fall of, of the year. That's, that's the breakdown of what it's looking like this year. That's bit. I mean, you're, you're busy. I mean, you've got a really robust project tour show schedule. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good and thing then there's Mama a bunch of other projects. Next door to you, you know, to help out with the kids. Yeah, it's perfect. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's good though because it, what happens, with the exception of the tab run, which is like a month long. Yeah. Um, I try and keep. Um, I try and keep the tours that I have control over. Um, I try and keep to around a ten or twelve day thing these days. So how? When did you first meet Tab Benoit? How, how did that happen? I met him, uh, I'm trying to remember, I guess, August of last year. Okay. We, 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 uh, we did a tour. We did another long tour, like, like five weeks together. Um, and I'm trying to remember if it started in July. It may have started in July. Um, but it was basically we did the summer together last year. And, um, and then we ended in Telluride for the Telluride Blues Festival, uh, which we both played. Um, but uh, we have the we have we have the same uh, agent, and um, so that tour was booked long in advance. But I'd never met him, so, you know. So I met him at the mm. first show. <laughs> yeah, you know. And uh, it took a minute. Yeah, we both really love cigars, though. So we we we. I think it was you know, like two or three shows in, we, we sat and smoked, smoked a cigar together and got to know one another. <laughs> and we were all good from there. <laughs> and the bonding had begun. Lightning yes, Malcolm indeed. Did a bunch of shows with him. Oh yeah. Cool. He's loud tab. <laughs> He's loud boy. Is he real? Is he just crank Very, up the volume yeah. on the amps or what? I mean, what's, what's he playing through? He, I don't remember. It's some boutique company, and he has two of them, and they're like two. Both of them are, I think, one's a fifty watt and one's a hundred watt, and they're both Oof. on ten. Right. And Oof. you know, I used to be in that. Uh, used I used to be in that situation, but I, I, to be honest with you, the last good while, I've really enjoyed just playing through a Princeton. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. Those, I mean, you I don't. I, I don't. With what I'm doing now, it's just either a deluxe reverb or a Princeton. And Adam, who plays drums uh, with me, who I'm very privileged to get to play with, uh, I, I mean, I think he's one of the best on the planet. Uh, and uh, he's not very loud, you know, so it, it's, yeah. 
he's a he's he's more of a jazz drummer so it so it 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 really you know i don't see the need in being that much louder than the drums you know <laughs> are you using in-ears on stage oh no 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 uh just wedges you know but i don't really we i don't really use uh, i'm a big fan of uh huddling the band together and not really using much monitors whatsoever if you set up close to one another you don't mm-hmm. I, I don't really I mean, I put vocal in my monitor, but I like to be right on top of the drums. And I like the, if, if we're playing trio, I like the basses to be right on top of the drums too. And I, you know, I, we really don't, we're very easy sound check because I, I just put vocal and uh, Adam, the drummer usually either wants nothing or a little bit of kick drum. And hmm. really the only thing the bassist ever asked for is, if he if he just needs a little bit of me you know um because i'm on the other side you know but yeah. that's about it you know on a technical note technical question i'm wondering if you have ever have you ever used ear monitors and if so um i heard dave Grohl talk about it so he doesn't use them because he says you lose your where you are in the stage like a spatial thing like he's just getting like a full mix compared to if he was over here or over there and hearing who he's right next to so have you ever used those and had that i've never i've never i've never committed to trying them um i uh have never really uh seen any real benefit uh to for me at least um and especially as our stage volume has come down and down and down because i've uh matured (laughs) uh you know um there's even less of a need for it you know um i mean of course in the studio i i'm i'm on headphones all the time all day and um so i'm familiar with the process and i you know even in the studio i i i don't prefer like if i can get away with uh being able to ambiently hear most of what's going on and maybe just have one ear on with like if there's a keyboard isolated or something um i'm always going to opt for that approach because i just like hearing natural environment you know um and it's tough you know because i think um I'm sure the same can correlate to people who use in-ears live, but in the studio, a very common um, sort of joke among session players are, you know, what do they have loudest in their, in their, in their headphones? Um, You know, because really when it comes down to it, you should be listening to everyone else Mm -hmm. and reacting to it. And if you have yourself so much louder than everything else, you, you're really kind of like inhibiting your ability to truly uh, meld with everything around you. And um, you can usually tell if a musician in the studio has themselves set the stun in their headphones, you know, because they're playing, because they're not, gelling with everything as much as they should be and i'm sure the same can happen live too that if they if a person has that much control and has so much of themselves you know it's like all of the sort of 
uh, nuance interplay can be uh, adversely affected, you know, would be a, a hazard, I would imagine. Yeah, you just mentioned doing sessions and you were talking at the beginning of the other projects besides the tours. Have you done a lot of session work? And with who, if so, if that's the case? Yeah, um, well, there's a, there's a whole bunch that are either just now getting released or about to be released. And so the, nor the new War and Treaty record is great. Um, I played on that whole thing. Um, and it's a huge honor to get to work with them. I'm a big fan of theirs. Um, and then uh, the uh, uh, we, we actually did two Chris Isaac records. We did one that's going to come out next year, which is like his next record, but then also his Christmas record that just came out. Um, we did a lot of work, me, me, myself and this production team with Dave Cobb. Um, we, we, we did a lot of work with Chris this past year. Um, and then, um, I mean, of course, the, the Elvis movie um, has been a, a huge gift um, to my life working on that. And uh, that's a great movie. Um, I finally saw that a few months ago on HBO. I really, really oh, enjoyed it. I didn't realize that good. kid could actually sing. He did a wonderful job, man. He was Austin is uh, is the real thing, and uh, you know it's been it's it's been wonderful to to you know like the soundtrack and and um, the score and stuff is up for uh, uh, many Grammys um, mm -hmm. that were and uh, so that's very exciting because there's a lot of stuff on there. So are you on the hook for a Grammy then? Because I know you did a lot of the yeah. musical scoring. Oh, nice. Yeah, because it's because most of, I mean, pretty much the, with the exception of, uh, I think the soundtrack has like 30 songs on it and I'm on like 19 of them. So um, it's, uh, I was pretty intimately involved with, with, with the majority of it and then also with the score um so yeah it's it's exciting you know me and that group of guys which you know we work together all the time now you know the that that crew of of musicians and engineers you know like we we kind of met making the elvis movie and now we've we work together all the time you know under the under the the uh, uh production of uh, of dave cobb our our, yeah. our fearless leader <laughs> And you're talking about like doing musical scores or like entertainment scoring. Mm -hmm. That's gotta be pretty lucrative. Yeah. I, would, I would imagine, isn't it? Oh yeah. And it's, yeah. it's, uh, it depends on the project. Um, but I, I've, I've certainly, it's, it's I mean, a big a budget of... film like Elvis. I mean, right. It's going to be a better payday than doing some independent film. Sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But you know, it's, it's, it's really, that whole door has been really, incredible to uh have opened and uh not to mention i mean it's like some of my favorite music that i've worked on as a as a musician has um been these last couple of years working on stuff for dave you know because everything is just of a of such a high quality you know for sure I guess how is that how is scoring film or TV different to you than playing like live or doing a live show? Oh, well, I mean live you're just you're playing whatever group of songs you've 
you've decided you wanted to play in front of people and you're having fun and stuff like that, you know, when you're um, tasked with uh, putting music to, to film, um, it usually involves a lot of notes. Um, it usually involves um, a relatively specific what they want to happen, um, usually from the director. Um, and um, it can take a while. You can, you can do, you know, usually they refer to them as cues where mm -hmm. there'll be a cue of music that can be anywhere from, you know, a matter of tens of seconds to a matter of minutes or whatever, you know, and you can work on cues and like completely throw away what you worked on and start from scratch. You know, in some cases you can do it many, 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 many times um, until you are truly kind of doing what they, what they envision. Um, and sometimes not. And sometimes it's really quick, you know, um, it's, you're so so in, in so it's it's not it's not dissimilar from as a session musician you're trying to come up with something that makes the song uh as good as it can be with you contributing whatever you think would do that and sometimes the artist or the producer doesn't like it doesn't like what you're doing or want or hear something else and so you just kind of keep doing it until everything really feels right and everybody's happy with it. So it's not that dissimilar from that, but it's, it's pulled bigger because you're, you're, you're not just talking about your individual contribution. You're talking about the actual piece of music itself right. um, where it's almost like you're, you're writing a song to, to uh, you're, you're, you're by order, you know, writing a song and they might not like it. And so it's like, you have to, continue composing a new one until it meets the criteria and so there's there's pluses and minuses to it it's very fascinating um and um when it's good it's really good you know it's very fulfilling um but it's also a lot of work it's it's right. it's hard work you know and you add pressure and all that other stuff on top of it it can be it can be a lot of work so Two-part question, which is more enjoyable and which is more challenging, creating your own original material and playing it live or, or taking somebody else's stuff like scoring or session work and kind of trying to get their vision? Uh, well, both can be just as gratifying um, in different ways. Um, but I mean, you know, as far as the fun meter, um, you know, when you're just doing something for yourself and there's nothing you know there's the you know it's that's that's the most fun yeah you want to be out in front of an audience playing no, your own stuff sure yeah or or in the studio working on your own stuff when you when you are in charge and you're just literally having fun it's you know there's no comparison to it but as far as gratifying and feeling good about um um they but they both can 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 uh leave you with a really good feeling of oh you know as a yeah. I did well today, you know. A job well done is a job well done. I think that's the old yeah. saying, right? Absolutely. So when did you first get involved with Dave Cobb, who, of course, is one of the most sought-out producers and 
I remember hearing about him as far back as the first couple of Shooter Jennings records, and he's worked with Rival Sons, and Whiskey Myers, and Blackberry Smoke, and his last Sammy Hagar record. So, how did you how did you start uh, getting involved with him? We met um, a, a very long time ago. Actually, we met at a guitar store. Um, he was checking something out, and I was checking something out, and a mutual friend introduced us and said, "You all should know each other." And Dave was, he, I mean, we got along really great, you know, cause we like a lot of the same stuff. We, we, you know, both equipment and styles of music and we're both kind of opinion. We're both, well, we're both very opinionated, but we, we, but we're just obsessed with minutia and, and like, we both have uh, a musical historian kind of bent and so we were just kindred spirits. It was, we, we became fast friends. And um, that was right around the time that he was starting to work with rival sons. And so he hadn't had this ridiculous, you know, like what completely changed his life and, you know, with Jason and with, uh, with Chris and um, with Sturgill. Um, all this, you know, we met pr- prior to all of that. Actually, I think he had just made metamodern with Sturgill because I remember brief I remember him playing me some of it um at his old house he had a beautiful house that had a really funky studio in it that I kind of miss um and uh he uh played me some of it and was like was really proud of it but I mean you know there was no way of knowing what was to come there in the next few years but we never worked together we were always friends and then the first time we ever worked together was in the summer of 2018, which is when he called me to work on the Elvis movie. Um, and it was a very last minute, you know, I think it was in June or something. And he called me and I was on the road, and I, but I was coming home, thankfully. <laughs> and um, he asked me to come in and, he's, and you know, he said, we're going to start working on this Elvis movie and I, I want you to come in and play guitar. And so that kind of lit our friendship and, 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 or or lit our professional relationship, you know, so we knew each other many, many years before we ever worked together. And now we work together regularly, you know, fairly. Now you're up for a Grammy. I'm going to be forced to watch the Grammys now, if you're up for it, man, (laughs) I got, got to see you go up on stage. I won't be there. (laughs) You're not going to go. I'm working. Uh, I'm working. I'm on tour. Mm. That's probably for the best. It's, it's you know, it's not for, it's not about me, man. I mean, I'm happy to be part of a collective, you know. It's it's right. uh you know, Dave and 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 Elliot who um is sort of Baz's second in command, you know, they 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 made it an incredible working environment for all of us and it was an honor to to do it all, you know. I guess they'll FedEx you, you know, the Grammy if you guys went. <laughs> indeed i wonder if you have to sign for it you know it's like one of those things you got to sign to get <laughs> i'll just give it right to my wife there you go next well next time you're on let us know how that works i will, I will. <laughs> so do you do you do any producing yourself any other bands yeah i do um i i actually have started doing more of it um it requires a lot more of a time commitment which is challenging for me um 
So, uh, but yeah, there's uh, Maddie Shell. This girl, Maddie Shell, uh, has a record that's coming out this year. She's in. Um, she's been in a bluegrass band called uh, the River Kittens um, for the last several years. And she came to me and asked if I would work on a record with her. And uh, it's it's really good. It's 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 a roots Americana record. Um, I'm really proud of it. Um, but that'll be coming out this year. And then I've I've worked with uh, there's this psychedelic rock band from Florida called Groove Raps that I've produced a couple of records on. And um, Groove what? raps w r a p s yeah they are um they're 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 a bunch of basically frank zappa uh heads from from florida and um so i've actually done two records for them um and the 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 second one's going to come out this year um and then there's there's some other ones too, but I, I've, it's more been like, I've produced like a track or two because it's, again, it's just, um, it, it's been difficult for me to sort of um, commit to making whole albums just because of my hands are in a lot of pots. So, mm-hmm. but moving into this year, like I'm scheduled to, to, to work on a, on, on a record with somebody in, in April and then there's a big one in June that I'm committed to working on up in New York. It's definitely something that I'm moving more into, you know, but it, it requires a lot more, a uh, lot more of my time, you know, um, because it's, it's uh, booking the sessions and, and, and all that is one thing, but it's like, but you need the time to actually, it's all the hours that you spend like not on the clock as it were, you know, trying to help somebody, facilitate something and make it good you know and it and it's um that's the difficult part you know because there's a lot more hours that go into it than when you're actually in the studio Uh, and i've tried to learn from yeah go ahead uh two-part question can you define for us what a producer does like in your opinion and then does that help you when you're on the other side being produced by somebody else or vice versa oh yeah no i mean i i've learned from 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 the best um in that regard um a producer can be uh, many things you know uh, i i think in the end a producer there's a there's a million in the course of making an album um or an ep or whatever it is that you're doing there's uh, tons of decisions that need to be made um, from uh, when are we going to break for lunch to should that hi-hat be louder to is the outro too long okay and um, invariably um, if you have a room full of talented people um, musically usually if you have the right people in the room things are going to sort themselves out as a collective of the best ideas from a good collection of people. Um, but occasionally there does need to be a grown up, so to speak, to either make a definite decision when there isn't an apparent one, or like I'm saying, there's these other things that need to be kept in mind and done. And so a producer just ends up being that, you know, 
Um, and a lot of times, you know, if you have a really incredible room full of people that are really talented, that have good chemistry with one another, a producer's job, you know, if a producer put that team of people together, then sometimes that's, that's about, that's it. You know, it's like, he's cast the right people. Um, so, you know, it, it can be really intensive or really hands off, you know, and all points in between. I think one of the most interesting things I think that's happened to me when working with a producer on a record is them just clearly asking us, are you guys happy with that? You know, it's sort of like they know something could be better, but just posing that open-ended question to people is like, I think was really helpful for us when we were struggling on a song one time that helped us get over the hump. And I thought that I always take that with me. That's interesting. And I even use that kind of approach now at my regular job when I'm working with people on my team and like, are you, are you happy with that? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, you, you know, it's your record in the end. Right. So, I mean, if you're not happy, you know, but, but, uh, but people get so inside their own heads that, um, it sometimes is difficult for someone to even know if they're happy with it or, you know, like they have yeah. to. And so like you being a trustworthy um, soundboard of that. No, if I don't think it's good, I'll, you know, we'll do it again, you know, right. kind of a thing, or we'll, we'll fix if there's a problem that needs to be sussed out, we're going to fix it. Um, but I'm not going to, uh, you know, if, if, if I'm not saying anything as the producer, it means that everything is, is to my liking. You right. Know? Cause it does, it gets really, you know, it's, it's even with the most experienced people, it's, I think being truly objective is a myth. I don't think it's possible. Um, you, you always need somebody that you can rely on. Um, you know, I think you can get better about it, you know, but I don't think it's truly a, achievable. <laughs> yeah. Producers essentially like the director of a show or movie. It's like knowing which buttons to push to get the results you need from people, whether it's a definitive answer or it's an open-ended, you know, question. Yeah. Whatever, whatever elicits the, 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 the right outcome, you know, and like I said, it can be a bunch of different things, you know, um, and I enjoy it. I like, I, I like being helpful. I like, um, I like being helpful and also I, I, I'm pretty good at being, uh, truly objective, you know, when it's not mine, when it's somebody else's, you know, of, oh, I think this would make it better and so on and so forth. It's, and also like, you know, choose, like I'm saying, choosing the right musicians and stuff like that. I'm, I'm pretty good at that. I, I'm, you know, knowing who's good at, specific things and also who works well together because that's another big part of it you know so i would imagine you know you know there's there can be moments where uh an artist and a producer like both feel strongly about how something should go whether from your Mm -hmm. end as as the musician or the producer like so how do you resolve those moments where both want it should be this it should be this you know like how does that pan out uh well i mean if 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 two if if there's two really strong ideas of something then you do them both you know and then uh, usually 
if you if you if you question whether something is is good or not it's probably not you know because when it's when things are rolling along and things are groovy you know it's pretty easy to i think to 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 be like oh this is this is good if that makes any sense you know mm-hmm. but if there's like two opposing ideas for something you do both and you i think it usually resolves itself relatively quickly because you you go oh this is this actually feels better you know or or this seems like it's working better you know and that also like that's why it's really tough sometimes you know like if you're you know like say it's just an artist and a producer and they're working without like if they're working with more electronic instruments or they're building tracks kind of piecemeal it makes it that much harder because when you have a room full of people that are all really good you know and it doesn't have to be many it could just be you know like four people or something like that again you have everybody's energy and it's like if everything's moving in a positive direction um it's it's pretty easy to kind of tell when it's working you know what i mean So I'm going to move away for a second from the producing part and go back to your album. So Songs from the House of Grease, it's actually being released today. We'll pretend like today's the 13th, even though it's the 10th, but it's out today. Get it. Um, J.D. Simo Trio. So your road crew that you go, you gone out and played these these tracks with, those were the ones that recorded with you on the album? Yeah. Um, these days, because I don't go out for three months at a time or whatever, yeah. as I as I did pre-COVID, um, uh the the lineup changes uh depending upon who's available um so yeah it was it was um uh uh it was my uh todd bolden playing bass on it who um uh, most of the time is out playing with raylan baxter um and he also plays with elizabeth cook and a bunch of other people friends of mine from here um and then my longtime partner in crime, Adam Abershoff, who's I've played, you know, basically the last decade with. And I'm very lucky to get to work with him because I just, you know, the more world-class drummers I get to work with and all that, I just, he's, a, he's special. He's very special. <laughs> how long did it take you guys to get the tracks down? I mean, how many tracks are on the album, by the way? Uh, one, two... there's only five songs on the record um but it's a full length you know 40 minute album um uh just two afternoons we we i think we probably assembled around noon and each day and probably screwed around and had lunch and you know called it quits around five or four thirty or something right you know very easy very easy going you know just a matter of a few hours you know well your songs are road tested and practiced up it sounds like right you kind of like yeah didn't occur to you to write this record you had these songs on the road people liked them and just record them yeah it was very easy uh, very chill you know i i like to um it's very comfortable down here and it's a good hang so it's it's i i uh I'm not a crack the whip type of person. So we were, we were working very, we were essentially on our own time, you know, so if we were, we were chilling out a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it was fun. You weren't stressed under the gun or anything like that. And you guys just nailed it in a couple of days. Yeah. Just played it, played everything a few times or maybe not even probably. I think some of it we probably just played once, 
and we're like, oh, that's good, you know. Just right. Take a break. You know, don't like you said, producing. Don't think get too much of your own head. If something's good, it's right. You just do it and move on. Yeah, it was very easy going. It was very easy going, and it was, it was, uh, you know, uh, we hadn't seen each other for a few weeks, so it was, you know, it was great to cut. We were, I'm sure, we were catching up and talking about dumb stuff, talking about baseball and whatever else we were talking about. You Speaking know, of baseball, and, I hear Nashville's in the market for potentially an expansion team. Did you hear that? Yeah, and I'm I would I would love it. I'm I'm a huge baseball fan, so I I uh I I would welcome it. I love going to the Sounds games with my daughter, um our uh, Milwaukee Brewer triple A mm-hmm. team that we have here. But um are you yeah, a Brewers guy? I know you're from Chicago originally. Like, what's your team? No, I'm not really a Brewers guy. I I don't really have. I'm just a baseball fan. I when mm-hmm. it's baseball season, I'll watch multiple games a day. Uh, I definitely, you know, I have a soft spot in my heart for both Chicago teams, the White Sox and the and the Cubs, um, because I grew up going to both games. But uh, but I really I, I like. I like Cleveland, you know, uh, I root, I definitely root for them. I definitely root for Atlanta, you know, being in the mm-hmm. South. Um, yep. uh, I root for St. Louis, uh, as weird as that may seem. Okay. Now uh, we can't the... be friends now. I'm a Reds <laughs> guy. So I can't, I was following you until we got to St. Louis, man. <laughs> I don't have a problem with them. I just like good baseball. Yeah. I really, really was happy to see, uh, Houston win. Um, uh, because I feel, first of all, I think that, you know, they're, they're the best team in baseball. So I, 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 I just go, yeah, they should win, but also ma- mostly because I felt like Dusty Baker really deserved yeah. a world yeah. series because I think he's one of the great managers of, of our time and a good dude and, and a good dude. Exactly. And I, and I, he's actually a friend. I've known him for many years. No and, kidding. Yeah. And, and I, um, I just, I literally shed a tear just be of, of happiness that, that Dusty finally got, you know, I I don't think there's a more deserving guy in that, in that department. He managed my Cincinnati red legs for a bunch of years. He did. He did. He did. And he's talk about heartache, man. I mean, it's like whether when he was with Washington, when he was with Cincinnati, when he was with the Cubs, I mean, you just giants, he almost won with the giants in the nineties. Yeah. 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 And, and, and the thing is he came so close he came so close a couple of times yeah. with the literally lost to Anaheim the one time. Um, and it's just, you know, to me, the caliber of Dusty's character and his managerial style, I feel like he should have three or four world series as no managers, way. you know, in my humble opinion, but we'll settle for one baby. And, I mean, <laughs> and also I, I really got to hand it to him. You know, he stood by his team, you know, um, and, uh Oh, I'm trying to who who won uh, MVP the uh, the young guy it, Aaron it's, Judge. It's his, yeah, no, 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 not Aaron Judge. Uh, you mean like the uh, series? Yeah, of the series. Um, oh shoot, I don't. He, uh, the infielder for Houston, who it's his yeah. rookie season, and he won. He third baseman. Third baseman or shortstop? Yeah. Uh, and he it's his it's his rookie season. And he ended up winning MVP, but back in oh, April. Oh, Jeremy like, Pena? Yeah, Jeremy Pena, where, you know, like back in April of last year, everybody was ragging saying, get this guy out of the lineup. 
And like Dusty was like, no, I'm keeping him in the lineup. Like, I believe in this kid. And then he goes on to be the MVP in the world. Right. <laughs> it's just like right on, man. So anyway, he is loyal to players to sometimes critically a fault, but he is a super yeah. loyal, like good dude. Yeah. Sometimes it works out. Sometimes it doesn't. I mean, Indeed. you got Jeremy Pena there, World Series MVP. Yep. Rookie. Yeah. Boy, it's a lot of pressure. That's a lot of pressure for this kid now moving on, isn't it? Where do you go from there? <laughs> it's all downhill from here, man. Well, true, right? Because, I mean, let's be realistic. The goal is to win a World Series every year, but you're not going to win the World Series ever. So you start out your first year doing that. And it, I, I don't know. And you win MVP. Like, uh, yeah, I mean, it's like, I don't know, retire, just <laughs> sign a sign a $300 million contract. and Like Aaron Judge out. or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. I was really hoping Judge would go to San Francisco. I was hoping. I would have loved to have seen that. He um, was, I think he was looking to get out, but the Yankees just came back with such a massive contract. It's kind of hard well, yeah, to say of course. No, you know? And they Kids couldn't end up. Yeah, of course, and the Yankees need him really. Um, yeah, as they continue to try and rebuild their team, you know, and and and, uh, and break the curse of these last few years. But I always found it interesting too that the AL World home run record has stood for as long as it has because there's been a lot of really hitter friendly parks, and for a long time though the AL was not necessarily known as a pitching league i think it's, no. cha- it's changed but it was just crazy that that 61 had stood for as long as it had absolutely and i you know going back into the Barry Bonds McGuire Sammy Sosa you know i mean the asterisk uh you know uh uh, uh stats as it were mm-hmm. you know there's something to be said for that you know, what, what Aaron did this past year and what he I'm sure will continue to do. You know, um, I saw him play, we, we were on tour and, uh, we went to, uh, we went to an Anaheim angels game where they were playing the Yankees and we saw, we saw judge, uh, hit a dinger and it was, it was something to see, you know, it was, it was a wonder, it was wonderful to get to see him play. I mean, to see him and trout play, you know, like obviously, the best two, all-around two, player in baseball. Yeah, I mean, two two future Hall of Famers, you know, yeah. without a doubt. You know, it's it was it was great to see. You know. I'd love to see Trout go to a team and, and contend in one you know a World Series. Yeah, I know, a, I know, I know. He, talk talk about a guy who deserves it and and may never, you know, may never get there. You know, and with, in like a cons- terrible market too, like. I know it's yeah. SoCal, but you're overshadowed by all the other teams in California. And like, he doesn't have that national scale recognition only like amongst baseball fans. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, sandwiched between what the Padres were able to pull out this past year and obviously what the Dodgers do. Right. Um, but uh, no, absolutely. But that's, and that's, a, and Shohei is also on the Anaheim Angels. Right. I mean, the Angels, you know, he's probably, I'm sure he'll be a future Hall of Famer as well. You know, I mean, it's kind of hilarious the 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 firepower that the Anaheim Angels have, but yet yeah. they they just don't have the pitching. You know, so Shohei can honestly he could win a Cy Young and a home run crown in the same year. I mean, think yeah. about that. It's insane. He hit a dinger same game. You know, he hit a dinger too. You know, yeah, uh, it was hilarious. You know, him and Judge both had home runs. That swing is definitely unique. Very. Very, very. It was it was wonderful, and it was just awesome to see 
uh, see Anaheim Angel fans uh, go at it with Yankee fans. It was really funny to watch. <laughs> I am Yankee not a Yankee are, fan. <laughs> me, me neither, but and I'm certainly not a fan of Yankee fans. But right, right. it's entertaining. <laughs> it's entertaining to watch. The laid back SoCal crowd getting into it with the Yankees fans. Oh, it was, it was something to see. It was funny. <laughs> I actually have a baseball question for you guys. All right, go. Yeah, well, sports, t- sports talk. Come on. Yeah. Well, you know, I don't have a favorite baseball team either, and I'm not anywhere near as knowledgeable about it as you guys. The other three sports I've been able to, you know, somehow pick a team to follow or be a fan of, and not, not haven't got that nailed on baseball yet, but. You tell me if this is like on point or not, but for some reason I want to follow the Texas Rangers. Is that a, a interesting? Good, good choice or not? I I mean nobody's going to call you bandwagon. <laughs> no, not at all. Um, and I mean they've had a they've had a hell of a time. I mean they you know as a child I grew up following the Texas Rangers because of getting to watch Nolan Ryan pitch. Um, yeah which was amazing. I saw Nolan pitch a few times um, for the Rangers. Um, Did you see that documentary on Netflix about him? Oh, I've watched it several times. So good. Times. So good. Yeah, I've, I've watched it several times. It's just, oh God, you know, it just, uh, you know, it's, it's crazy because, you know, he, somebody of that mythical status that was around in my lifetime, yeah. you know, because ball players or musicians for that matter that sort of have that mythical thing are from a bygone era, you know, and it's like, no, when I actually got to see pitch, you know, it's the, the fact that he was such an aggressive, he was, yeah, I could talk, I could talk for hours about no one, but at any rate, no, I think that, you know, you pick a team and you follow it and you stick with it. Um, you know, uh, cause like I said, like I said, I, I don't really have, I'm just a baseball fan. So it's like, I don't really, uh, there's, there's only a couple of teams I really don't like, you know, and, and, but most of them, I just, I just want to see a good ball game, you know? So, you know, I think that's part of, I I think that's part of the fun of it. And I'm not, I'm that way kind of with all sports, you know, I'm, I'm that way with football and I'm that way with, uh, with hockey and, and basketball for that matter. I just like, you know, to see talented guys play, do amazing things, it's it's enjoyable. I I I got to that conclusion of the Texas Rangers because I'm looking at the other, you know, you know the NL Central. My wife's a huge Cardinals fan, and Jason's a Reds fan. So, and I got friends that are Cubs fans. So, like, I don't want to oppose like my significant other or friends or whatever. <laughs> and the AL East don't want to deal with the Yankees, and the NL West don't want to deal with the Dodgers. You know, so yeah that pretty much leaves the NL East and the, and the, and the, the, AL, the Rangers AL could use West. your support. I'm sure Brian and you being in far. They could. Or you could, or, or, or you could choose, or you could choose to be like an Orioles fan and really like, well, Steve Gorman's like, already got that covered. So <laughs> <laughs> poor Orioles, just like the poor Orioles, man, they had a good wild card run this past year. And I was rooting yeah. for him. I was, I was like, man, I was, I was, you know, because it was like, what was it? It was Seattle and, and, um, oh God, I can't remember now, but it was, I know they were up against, oh, it was Seattle and, and, and Tampa and Tampa Bay. They were, you know, 
it was it was back and forth of like if Seattle lost and Tampa lost and and the Orioles won, like the Orioles almost got wild card, you know. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I'd love to see that happen. You know, they had not to, been good for so long. Didn't want to deal with NL East because uh, our friend David Hudson from the State of America podcast, a huge Braves fan, was like, I don't that's know. a stacked <laughs> division right now too. You got the Mets and the Braves so. and everybody else spending money. Well, that's and like, I, one. I was happy to see. I mean. He, I wanted to see Dusty Baker win, so I was yeah. pulling for Houston all along. But I, I really, really wanted to see the Mets go all the way because they were on fire all season, yeah. and then just, and then just completely choked out. Turned like, into the Mets. <laughs> yeah, they turned into the, and it was so heartbreaking. I just because they were so great all season. Like it was, you know, again, like I think their record was probably right up there with the Astros might've been within a a few games. They had a hundred plus games won, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was just like, this is crazy, you know, go for it, you know, but then they turned into the Mets. Uh, (laughs) Well, at least this season, right. The season, they got a chance. They do. And, you know, and at least the Yankees didn't get in to just rub the Mets nose in it, you know, like, that's right. like you know, the Yankee, the Yankees got, got, got sent home too. So, you know, speaking of where we <laughs> go from here, Jason is a baseball talk, a good segue for that part of the show. I think so. JD, you want to do some fun lightning round questions? So that we kind of. Absolutely. All right. I'm going to stick, I'm, we're going to stay in the, in the, in the entertainment realm here for a second, ask you a couple hard questions. What is the best movie or TV show that you've seen where the actual actors look like they knew what they were doing musically? Ah, oh, that's a really good one. Hmm. You know what I mean? Like you buy it, you bought that these guys can play and perform. Well, there's a couple that come to mind. One is, uh, that thing you do, yeah. Uh, the Tom Hanks movie, yep. uh, they did a wonderful job with that. Great film, um, good song too. Great, uh, all, all, all around. So that definitely comes to mind. Uh, I don't know if you've seen Love and Mercy, the Brian Wilson biopic. Oh yeah, yeah. That they really did a great job. Really good, really good job. Um, th- so those two come to mind as like the main ones. And I mean, I you know I hate to be a shill here, but the Elvis movie they did. Really Elvis good movie, job. I was super surprised, man. Man, I for real, yeah, because you know, you just never know, you know. No, you don't. But they they did a wonderful job. I feel, I feel like everyone. So there's there's a a good number. They didn't insult you know? your music <laughs> in the movie. <laughs> no, no, not at all, not at all, um, not at all. So there's Which side a of that though. What's the worst you've seen? Least believable. Oh man. It's like being an athlete and watching a sports movie and like, holy shit, well, that yeah. person doesn't know how to throw a baseball. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, well, um, hmm. trying to think here. I think the, probably some of the worst, I mean, TV is littered with it. So I don't, I kind of even don't, I kind of don't have don't enough time go. for people to practice and work with no. people look like they're, you know what I mean? Like, look like they know what they're doing. Okay. So, and I might get flack for this, but <laughs> I felt musically, I think 
it was it, they they did a good job, but the lip syncing in particular in Bohemian Rhapsody oh. annoyed the shit out of me. Really, because Rami, I didn't, I didn't believe that that was Freddie Mercury's voice coming out of Rami's vocal cords. Uh, I didn't feel, I felt it was overamped and not believable. And, and that's a I big know, personality to, 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 you know, to play. Yeah. And, and I'm sure people are going to disagree with me, but that I didn't like. And it went, and it's not the music. It's not the guy that was playing Brian, right. uh, that, that was playing, playing Brian May or Roger Taylor. It wasn't the musicians. It was in specifically the lip syncing of Freddie Mercury that, that okay. like, just, I was just like, I can't, I can't, this is annoying the crap out of me and it's pulling me out of the movie. Um, so, so there was that I'll say, and, um, probably that's the only one that really kind of is, is truly offensive to me that, that is like, you know, something of note, Yeah, you know? So there you that's, go. <laughs> that's fair. I'm going to focus on that next time I see that movie. Yeah. It's just like when you see, he, it's just like, it's like Rami is like doing 30% too much or wow. something. Over, and it just over. doesn't, it doesn't, it just pulls me out of the movie, you know? Okay. My beef with that movie was it was more the Freddie Mercury story than the Queen story. It's called Bohemian Rhapsody. And I think it should have, they should have called it like the Freddie Mercury story or something because it was so much of him. Well, and I just don't, you know, I mean, Freddie didn't leave the band to do a solo career. He didn't, they didn't reunite to do Live Aid. He didn't have AIDS yet. You know, it's just so many, like, really, I mean, I understand completely because in the Elvis movie in particular, like, you know, they take liberties and kind of squash stuff together for the sake of narrative. But um, nothing in the Elvis movie is like, is is like not true it, right. there's instances where it's like you know he didn't meet with steve bender at the hollywood sign you know but like the conversation that they had at the hollywood sign absolutely did happen but it's like ah, oh, for narrative and for a good sure. looking cinematography you know like i understand i understand taking liberties for the sake of narrative but yeah and the in the queen movie it, it, it i was just like this is not like what is you know this is not true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Elvis movie was really good, but it did bum me out just because his life was really depressing, particularly towards the end, just with how isolated oh, yeah. they made him and kept him from touring internationally, stuff he wanted to do. It's just kept him sad. up on drugs. It's sad. Very sad. It's sad. And I actually really appreciate that they, that the, I feel like Elvis finally was portrayed in that light, you know, because they didn't I feel over like that stuff and make light of it by any means. They showed it. No. And that, but that's what I mean is that I feel like it's really easy for like the saddest part of Elvis's life is what is always kind of made fun of and kind of turned into a cartoon. Yeah. And it's like, no, man, you have to understand that, that that's like one small portion of his life. And it's, it's, it's incredibly sad you know it's not funny you know uh because by the time elvis got to the to what i'm talking about the point in his life it's like he'd done a hell of a lot before then 
that's to be respected and celebrated. And I think that that's great that that's conveyed, you know? Yeah. Really good movie. I enjoyed it, but I am not in a hurry to watch it again. No, it's a lot to, it's a lot to, 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 to unpack as it were. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right, guitar question. So when you're when you're going to a guitar shop, you pick a guitar up off the shelf that you're trying out. What is your go-to lick or song that you you play? Oh, I don't have one actually. You don't have I, one. You I, just uh, play whatever comes nah, to mind. Yeah, just whatever comes to mind, and that actually that helps uh, tell if I think the thing's good for me or not. Okay. Fair because enough. if it leads me to if it leads me to something interesting, then it's like oh, there's something here, you know. But no, I don't really. Uh, Whatever you're you feeling know, with not, that guitar is like what you're going to try. Yeah, but it's not conscious. Put it that way. It's not. I don't. I, I don't consciously. You know, we all have our things we do, but they're fairly. Uh, they're they're not conscious. You know, we just do them. I'm sure I have them, but I'm not aware of them. <laughs> all right, two part question. What is your favorite? lick or solo to play that is an original by you and what's your favorite cover lick or solo to play oh man um well i really like um the the tune that 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 uh opens this new album is a tune called mortgage on my soul which is um, a reworking of an old fred mcdowell song and just the style of slide playing that i play on that song i really enjoy I really enjoy it. It's something that I feel very comfortable in. It's a very Zen-like place for me. Um, so it's not specific necessarily, but it's like, I really love doing it. It's something I really enjoy. Um, as far as someone else's, uh, again, it's not specific, but I, Lightning Hopkins is a really big hero of mine and his style of playing is something that when I'm just messing around at home or walking around the house with my acoustic on or something, um, I'm more off to do something in that realm just for enjoyment, just for, you know, just sort of not, you know, um, so I know it's not exactly answering your question, but I'm, that's I'm, that's I'm, fine. I'm, I'm just I'm at least curious. 30, I'm at least 30% <laughs> answering your question. You know? That's you know, and I don't know if you know Leilani Kilgore from she's a Nashville player, blues rock. Um, check her out if you haven't. I don't. She, she's been on a couple of times and she asked us the question, asked me the question <laughs> when doing the lightning round. She's like, hey, what's like, what is your go to lick or something you like to play? And I'm like, I'd have thought about that. And I was like, well, I kind of like doing the intro to Blue Sky by the Almond Brothers. So now I've stolen this question. And when I'm talking to guitarists, I kind of like to ask that question, too. Totally it's a good one she's very insightful she's a great great you know player guitarist singer check her out leilani kilgore i will i will all right uh piece of gear so i know you're happy with everything you have money it's no object this is a a pure you know fun thing to get but what would you what would you just what would you get if you just wave a magic wand and it appears hmm It would actually be studio equipment. <laughs> right, that's fair. Be... Like, what, what, what are you looking for? 
it would be a it would be an old Spectrasonics console, which are rare. Um, but that's what they had in Muscle Shoals, and that's what they had at Atlantic in New York. And there aren't many of them left anymore. But it would be a Spectrasonics console, and and um, uh, and an Ampex four forty tape machine. You know, if I could wave a wand, I'd want those two things. Reel to reel and the, the old setup in your studio to get that kind of that sound. Well, the 440 is just my favorite sounding tape machine. Um, all, all of my favorite stuff were made on Ampex 440s. And, um, you know, that coupled with the Spectro, yeah, it's just that would be, yeah. So, <laughs> hey, <laughs> I didn't not, put any limitations on what you could choose. That's it's open ended, right? That's that's great. I'm glad that you went outside like a amp or guitar or a pedal or something. No, I mean because that's what I would if I could wave a wand. That's what I would I would love to have that here. <laughs> All right. So for everybody listening, JD does have a birthday. There's Christmases and other things that happen. So you know, go ahead and start. If you want to, if you want to throw in for the 300 grand or so that it would take to make that happen, absolutely, oh, that is... I'll, I'll accept it. Sheesh, no problem. <laughs> Uh, last time you're on, we asked to have you tell us a good story from the road, which you did. It might be mine and Brian's favorite story. It was out of control and wild. It was great. So I'm going to ask you a different question. I mean, what is the dumbest thing that you've ever seen when you've been out on tour? The dumbest thing. Like, you know, you did pass by you? something you're like, what the hell is going on? What did I what did I tell you on the last on the last episode? Refresh me. Oh, memory. you're out in LA Just, and there was probably crimes committed, whether it's oh you're driving okay. around right, with yeah. a dude and you know, there was all sorts yeah, of Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was my first time my first time in Hollywood. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Uh no, the dumbest thing I ever saw was we were driving out of Chicago. We were we were on tour and we were driving south. Um and we were just about to pass into Gary, Indiana. And there was a minivan that was all over the road. And, um, and we we're like, what the hell, you know, just trying to, I don't, I, I don't think I was driving. And, uh, but we were all like kind of scared. Like what is going on with this minivan? Like we need to get away from this person. What is Gary before Indiana they crash. as well too, you know? Exactly. You know. And so we get, we get up to where we're like basically parallel and there's a african-american gentleman and he's eating barbecue baby back ribs with both hands <laughs> while driving 70 80 miles an he's hour with his expressway. elbows or something or his knees or just what? N- not even like and 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 he, but just the image of this guy just mowing down on ribs while driving <laughs> easily one of the dumbest things i've ever seen i mean at some point you're gonna to have to touch a steering wheel a console and there's you i mean they're not clean ribs right ribs the, like not a barbecue sandwich things, right? like ribs while you're driving like that like goes along with like it's always sunny in, in philadelphia with 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 uh, eating the bowl of cereal or something yeah. like really yeah. like right. what I've never you had know, an accident. So, <laughs> accident, yeah, with the cereal. No, while so so yeah, so the the ribs eating ribs uh, while driving on the interstate. 
I think with and, a person Garrett, like that, you have to question what other decisions they make in their life. Well, sure, you know, I mean, but that was that. That's definitely the one of the one of the the dumbest. Um, I mean, ribs are to be savored and enjoyed, and that takes away from the whole experience of just eating ribs, anyways. Like I'm, I'm against that from the start, dude. Like that's preach. disrespect. Preach, preach. <laughs> it's like one of my favorite things to eat are ribs. Like, why would you distract yourself from eating ribs by driving? I don't know. Maybe you had to get somewhere. I don't know. I, I guess, but holy shit. All right. That, 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 that's, a, that's a good one. That's going to be hard to top, Ryan. I think on that one, that, too, that, for me. It's just, that one's pretty dumb. That's pretty that dumb. Hurts me personally. Yes. All right. Last question for you. Give us an artist or band that we need to know, that you know, that we don't know, and we should pay attention to? Oh, it's just, okay. Um, like emerging. And Brian likes to ask that question. I stole it. Sorry, Brian. <laughs> I'm ready to read it. Uh, I, let's see here. Um, well, there's, if you, if you aren't familiar, they're, they're not necessarily emerging. They've been around for a minute. But if you're not familiar with a group called the Greyhounds, which they're from Austin, Texas, um, they're some of the best out there right now. And they collaborate with really heavy people all the time um, because they're so great. Are they and, like a blues, um, blues band? There's blues elements in it. There's soul music. There's... there's um, they're just a great it's it's two gentlemen it's it's uh it's it's a guitar player singer and a keyboardist and they use different drummers and different uh it, it, they're they're just their their records are some of my favorites of the last 10 years or so um but as i just mentioned like they they have a studio in austin and they constantly are collaborating with other heavy duty people. Um, and uh, I actually just spoke to Andrew, the guitar player, um, just a few days ago because I, we really need to do something together and we yeah. need to make that happen sooner rather than later. And uh, I'm just a really big fan of theirs a lot. And I think that, you would you know any anybody would would dig them you know they're kind of under the radar um, we love under the radar our, but they're too. but they're phenomenal they're just they're just as good as it gets and um you know they tour but it's kind of random you know they yeah. just finished a really long tour actually opening for ben harper oh yeah which mm -hmm. was really cool but um but they're yeah they're they're just great um, and as far as emerging, I don't know if I mentioned McKinley James to you guys last time, but McKinley James is emerging and he's really great. He's a young guitar player from here in Nashville. And, um, he plays really old school, like fifties kind of, uh, blues and R and B uh, and, he's great. You know, he's really good. So we'll go. check them out. Those are good. Those are good endorsements for sure. The Greyhounds definitely are very in intriguing. I'm, I'm going to have to do that, especially because they have a catalog. 
Hey, yeah. do you know GA20? We had Matt Stubbs on uh, in the fall when their yeah. album came out. Yeah, man. What do you? Th- that's pretty cool. Like they're We're doing, the- you know, they're doing that trio kind of old school blues thing. Yeah. A little bit of like what you like to do. We did sixty shows together last year. Um, did you really? Holy God, that would have been a yeah. hell of a freaking concert to see. We, uh, yeah, it was uh, twenty twenty. Yeah, it was the last we. It was like a year ago at this time. Yeah, you guys would match up great together, sound wise. I get to see that. Yeah, it was a fun bill of music, you know. Yeah, I love um, uh, the drummer Tim is is an absolute sweetheart, and uh, Pat, the the lead singer, is 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 salt of the earth. You know, good good people. Well, mentioned uh, Jason. Was it Christopher Shane? You know Christopher Shane from Arizona? I don't or, think so. Or was it the dude from Native Sons? Boy, I don't remember. Well, well your name know. comes up on a lot of the conversations. The story was like the dude, like the promoter wasn't gonna pay him and he was all coked up and but he said like JD was there too, like you're opening for you or something. I don't I can't remember who it was. Hmm. I thought it was oh, a God. Christopher Shane from Phoenix. Oh man, I don't know. <laughs> you have to be more specific. Promoter was coked up and wouldn't pay. No. <laughs> you have to be more specific. <laughs> it's any show at any time. I don't recall, Absolutely. Brian. I mean, I generally, you know, but I can't. We've talked to like a hundred people this year. Yeah. But we always love talking yeah. to JD, man. You're always so great and interesting and fun to have on, and. At some oh, point, I missed you, you twice in Ohio, one in Columbus, the Woodlands, and then I think you played at um, Southgate. Since I, I, whatever happens, my schedule never matches up when you're around, so I'm going to keep looking for we some of these sound... Ohio dates around me. Yeah, we'll be back through. We, Ohio is a place that we hit relatively often. Yeah, Woodlands was really good, and and Southgate was really good. We did yep. we did uh, Kent Stage too up in Kent. Yeah, um, which was which was really really wonderful. Um, you know, didn't do Cleveland proper this time. We did, uh, uh, we, we played in Kent instead. So that's anyway. okay. I mean, Cleveland, <laughs> I'm a Cincinnati guy. Yeah, I but can't I, speak highly of Cleveland. Oh man. I like it all. I like it all. You Except have to. Youngstown. <laughs> Youngstown, you gotta Youngstown. be careful. It's a little, uh, Young, Youngstown can hang out. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and it's funny because I have so many friends from Akron. And yeah. so I make fun of Akron all the time of what a shithole Akron is. <laughs> Sorry, Akron. Akron's, Akron, you know, it's, it has its challenges. It's, it has its challenges. It's the, young, you know? it's the Youngstown of that area. <laughs> North Central Ohio. Yeah, exactly. It's the Youngstown this, of North Central this Ohio. This should be on the sign when you get in the city limits. Welcome to Akron, the Youngstown yeah. of North Central Ohio exactly <laughs> all right the album songs from the house of greece comes out today the 13th uh where do we go to buy the album to find out your tour dates to buy your merch what's the best place for us uh, so, uh the 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 main website is simo.fm or just google jd simono come up um and that'll have the tour dates and um and if you want uh to get like t-shirt bundles with the vinyl or, or CDs or whatever. Um, 
but then obviously, you know, just stream stream it wherever you you listen to music, Apple Music, Spotify, Amazon. Um, and, uh, um, you know, it's available on the Amazon and all that kind of stuff as well. Okay, I see. So I whatever, mean, when you, whatever you... you go to Bandcamp, but you click your link to, to buy the album on here. I don't know. Yeah. What, what is more lucrative for you, honestly, when somebody buys something from? Does it matter? It doesn't matter that much. Okay. I mean, there's a, you know, there, it's it's a little more lucrative if you get it direct from my site that takes yeah. you to the Bandcamp site. But really, when it comes down to it, it's all it all ends up being okay. similar, you know? Um, and, uh, yeah. And yeah, follow the YouTube channel and, and, uh, all the other things, you know, if you just Google my name, I'll, it'll all just come right up. So you used to do a lot of the, uh, live from the house of Greece, like stuff from your bathroom. Like you're not doing as many of those anymore, are you? Well, I haven't had as much time. I, I try and do it as often as I can. I just did one the other day. Uh, which is hilarious because I just, you know, I never thought something like that would, would be something that. Well, that's what made me think of it because all of a sudden I saw it and I'm like, I don't remember you doing many of these. Yeah, no, it's been, it's, you know, it's, it's, I'm fairly active on social media and, and, uh, you know, I at least post a couple of times a week, you know, and varied uh, just whatever I'm doing. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, I've been, you know, up, up until the holiday season, I was gone. Uh, I was, I was hopscotching flying around a lot and that that's about to resume. I'm, I'm heading, um, actually going out, um, leaving Saturday to go on, uh, the Delbert McClinton, uh, cruise next week. Um, we're, uh, I'm playing with a whole host of a bunch of different friends of mine out on that. And then, uh, then flying from there, from, when we come back to Florida that I'm flying to Washington, uh, DC to do, uh, to do a taping with Sirius XM and, oh, nice. and then going to New York. So I'm about to, and then I have to go to New York to do something. So it's, I'm about to be busy again. Is that the but, Bluesville uh, channel you're going to be on or a different one? Yeah. Yeah. The Bluesville channel. They've been really, um, Lou Brutus, who, um, is, uh, a, a fairly prominent, uh, rock DJ. Um, he is one of the main program directors for Sirius XM and he's a, a long, long time fan and friend. Mm -hmm. And, um, he's been incredibly, um, uh, supportive and, uh, um, they spend a lot of my stuff on that every week. And, uh, I'm very grateful, you know, cause I, I actually, the couple of, you know, people either, like when I meet people at shows, it's, it's now I meet a lot of people who, who've, who found out about me through the Elvis movie of all things. So I hear that a lot. And then the other is, you know, guitar players who may have seen me in a guitar magazine or, or saw me on the cover. Vintage guitar, guitar magazine cover or something, right? Yeah. yeah. So there was a lot of, a lot of that these last couple of months. And then there, and then, um, but I, but the other thing is I hear all the time is people that have, Oh, I, I found out about you from hearing you on XM uh, Sirius, you know, so it's, it's uh, very grateful, you know, lose a, a, a hell of a guy and it's really fun and, you know, getting to hang with him and talk to him because he's, he's been in the business for a very long time and he's got great stories and, you know, you talk about, you know, promoters and cocaine, you know, he's, he's, he's got I, plenty. I found who it was. 
is in our. Who was it, Brian? Well, our episode episode descriptions. I always try to really do a reference to the funny story. Matt Stubbs from mm-hmm. GA Twenty, uh, and finally, how to get properly how finally how to get properly paid after a gig when the promoter is hesitant to settle up. Oh, it was with Stubbs. Yeah. Yeah. So, well. There was an interesting situation that happened on our tour together in Los Angeles. And all I'll say is um, we got paid and, uh, <laughs> and left and left the venue in question. And, um, and Matt ended up getting in a fist fight with, uh, with the bouncer. And there may or may not have been drugs and alcohol involved. <laughs> and uh corroborated and, and we and we heard about it the following day <laughs> unbeknownst to us we, Brian, were the, I think this we were at the hotel we were at the hotel asleep <laughs> brian this is the first time we've had one of these stories corroborated by yeah. another guest it's amazing <laughs> history oh yeah but i mean like you know i you know that was that was a bizarre that was really bizarre and i'm sure i'm sure could have been mitigated in a way that didn't result in a fist fight yeah but you know what don't screw screw with dudes from like massachusetts you know sometimes you just need to take a deep breath and be groovy (laughs) he was telling a story and he didn't even mention he after he told the story i think jason said because it was in Los Angeles, and Jay said, "Well, that sounds like something that, that it would happen to JD Simo." And it's like, Matt's going, "Yeah, he was there. He was there." <laughs> We're going, oh, of course. <laughs> or not there during the yeah. event, but but and, and neither Brian or I were were surprised by hearing that somehow that you're around or involved. <laughs> well, from what I remember of that initial instant its situation was that. Because, see, I had my guy go in to settle along with Matt's girlfriend who was settling for GA20. And from what I remember, his girlfriend was actually really helpful because she had, like, actually, like, she knew how many tickets had been sold. and all. She, mm-hmm. she had more info than we did to, to, to make this right. But nonetheless, um, it was, it was uh, like I said, like, it was dealt with and then we were paid and you know especially on long tours and stuff like that we don't linger like we we go check yeah. into the hotel and try and get a good night's sleep and so because it's hard enough um but they stayed and that's where the trouble ensued <laughs> so to 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 paint the i don't know you know that's, I think, the full truth of that story. <laughs> well, again, we, we corroborated a little bit of that story, and uh, but then again, I wasn't, I wasn't present. You weren't for there the actual to, to fight. You heard, but you heard the secondhand account from those guys. So, At, straight from them, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then you know, so you know, and it's and and to be honest with you, I have, I mean. God, I mean, I've been being paid to play guitar my entire life. I mean, since I was probably eight or nine years old, the first time I got paid to play guitar. And um, 
I can list, I mean, I'm like racking my brain and I'm trying to really like do a thorough job of it. I can list on one hand. I I'm pretty, I'm pretty certain the times where I've had a problem getting paid or got screwed or whatever. And I mean, that's, you know, I don't know, a million transactions at this point. I'm 37 years old, you know, like I've never, uh, I've never really had any real problems. You know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a huge rarity. Um, That's fortunate. But I do think, but it, well, it's fortunate, but also I do think that it has to do with who you work with, your type of mentality, the type of person you are, your overall vibe, you know, and also never, you know, it's like, don't put yourself in situations that your that your spidey senses tell you not to, you know, like if you're, if you, you know, there are many situations that, uh, that exist in the world where, you know, if your gut tells you not to get wrapped up in that, then don't do it. You know what I mean? So yep. I, I've, I've, uh, it's, it's been a huge rarity all of my funny and stupid stories have to do with nonsense, you know, right. but actually right. it has, to, you know, when it gets down to the actual um, making money and, and, and doing all that, it's, you know, I've, I've rarely had, you know, rarely, very rarely, you know, just well, that's to, good, you know, be truthful. You're, you're a good dude. And I think you probably the aura that comes off and you don't have problems chill well jd is always great to have you on here you know we know you're a great musician producer cover model real estate magnet like what don't you do (laughs) oh god plenty (laughs) plenty baseball i don't hike much yeah baseball fanatic i don't hike much <laughs> that's it. That's that's it. He does everything. I don't else. eat. I don't. I don't eat kale enough. You know. You don't eat kale enough. But you. But you know what you don't yeah. do? Eat ribs while driving. No, I don't. No, I have a strict non non eating of ribs while driving rule. <laughs> <laughs> and anybody who has that rule is good in my book, right, Brian? You are correct. <laughs> Amen. So thank you to J.D. Simo. Uh, the new record is Songs from the Homes of Greece. You guys all go out and get it. Go out and see them live. And uh, J.D., once again, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. Thank you once again to, for J.D. Simo for joining us and corroborating the story of Matt Stubbs <laughs> with, uh, you know, a shady promoter and other things happen. That was that was truly Brian his historic moment when somebody else's story from the road has been corroborated by a third party. Yeah, and uh, I and don't eat ribs and drive. Don't eat ribs and drive. JD is so much fun to have on. He has such a good like spirit about him. He can talk about anything. And one another one of those people that you and I can sit and just talk to, and like hours can go by, and you have no idea. That time has gone by. You know, I wrote down about five or six names or bands that he mentioned. I'm, I'm very uh, excited to check out. Uh, definitely the Greyhounds. I have them marked down in, yeah. um, was it McKinley Jones? What, what? McKenzie uh, Jones? Yeah. McKinley Jones? James? McKinley James. There you go. Yeah. My handwriting's atrocious. Right. 
but yeah but i'm looking uh, forward to this album you know this this songs from the house of greece and especially with that cold train cover so i am really looking forward to listen to it, it sounds fantastic yeah and i, I loved uh, uh hearing him talk about uh dave cobb who i would love to get on here at some point <laughs> yeah you know and i mean cobb's the real deal and he's got jd in his inner circle so that says a lot about jd and his ability all right well well uh the day might come or not come did we get dave cobb on here until then always remember southern rock is reverent loses blood we'll see you uh next time
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 